Okay, as always, it's great to be in Wichita, Kansas with the church here. Um, I have one other announcement I want to make, actually two. I'm going to read one of them so they don't get it wrong. Uh, today, um, we're starting the process of identifying a search team to oversee the hiring process of an evangelist and women's, women's ministry leader. The first step is to collect the nominations for the team. So we're not taking a vote on all the people in the world that you'd like to have uh, lead the church. This is to create a team to go searching for those people. So we're going to start that today. Uh, each member can submit two names. Don't stuff the ballot box. Two names. Uh, nomination forms in the drop box are located in the foyer. Please submit these no later than next Sunday, October 23rd, after service. So basically what that means is when it's over with tomorrow, next Sunday, then the doors are closed and we're going to count it based upon that. Okay? okay. Um, the form that you can fill out pretty much tells you all the details you need, including what some of the responsibilities and time will involve in that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, and I've really had a hard time trying to figure out how to say this exactly, but for years I have prayed for the church in Wichita. Uh, you've been on my heart to just uh, see God move here, do great things. When I started coming down here, I already knew half a dozen of you, maybe a dozen of you, but it's been a great pleasure uh, to, to really get to know more and more people. I tried to count it up, and I think I've met 25% of the church uh, on individual sit-down talks. And uh, that's been uh, encouraging to me, stirs my soul to hear where people are at and what they believe God wants for the church here. Then I listened to the Bryants this morning, I'm thinking maybe I just need to sit down and let them manage this morning. That was so good. Uh, I was thinking I wish there were a whole sermon to follow up on what they shared about. I really do hope in the future that the cultural diversity and acceptance and understanding really will become I mean, why not in Wichita, Kansas? That, that in this congregation you set the example for us because we certainly need that. But where I was going with it all was that when I was approached uh, to come and help out as an interim minister, um, you know, we'd been out of our own uh, challenges a couple of years and it stirred up a lot of different things. But I had to hold too. I've been praying for Wichita for a long time. I need to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, and not just pray and pray and pray for somebody else. And that's how um, I ended up being here besides being asked if I would uh, contribute to the work here. The Sherrills, when they realized that it was going to be too much for me without my wife Esther being involved, they stepped forward and said that they would take charge. And I said, you're quarterback. I'll just help you run whatever plays you want. It's been a, an amazing journey because I already knew Tim and Cheryl. I considered him a good friend. When he moved to the Heartland, I tried to help incorporate him into the group. And we're very different, if you haven't noticed, but we have, it's just been an amazing thing to be able to work together and to connect. But where I'm headed with this is that the commitment that I made was based partly upon Esther not joining me and the responsibilities that I have uh, in the church in Lawrence that I was going to make a commitment for three months. I was originally asked for six to nine months. We moved that down to uh, three to six months, and then we moved it down to I could do three months. So today, uh, there'll be exceptions, but today's my last Sunday to be able to speak with you. So please give your hearts to me and give your hearts to God as I get into God's word. I hope that when I spoke two weeks ago and today will be a time that you don't just come, show up, shake hands, 
uh, take communion and leave, but that today will be a day that you really open your mind and your heart to what else does God want in Wichita, Kansas. And frankly, I preached this sermon about a month ago in Lawrence because I felt like Lawrence needed to hear it. And we had lots of college visitors, and there were people nodding their heads, but the college visitors were all going like this because <laughs> they never heard anything like that. Hopefully, I won't see those faces this morning. Hopefully, I'll get nods. <coughs> Last time I spoke, I talked about the idea. I called it back to what is most basic. And the idea was what's most basic is to follow Jesus. That's what the word Christian means, is like Christ. And we can read all the commands and the things uh, uh, that Christians are expected to do, but all of that is summarized in the idea that we have chosen to strive to be like Jesus. Right. Not church right. attenders, not associates, but following Jesus. And what I brought out in that message from John 8 was that um, Jesus was both firm and gentle. He was clear and he was kind. He made a difference in a situation that was a little tense, a little difficult. And the challenge for us is to be like Jesus, to be able to find firmness when needed and gentleness when needed. And I would say knowing people and having the, uh, where are you, the counselor uh, uh, degree and license, I think this is something that is super important in our human relationships, is to be clear enough. Sometimes we can talk so much that it becomes not very clear. Sometimes we can talk so succinctly that we're not very kind. And in that particular story, Jesus captures for us at least one piece of the personality of God. So today, I guess you can put me on trial because I want to do my best to be firm but gentle, clear but kind. Amen. All right, let's get into this. <clears throat> Let me add this to firm but gentle. I would guess that wherever you are at, in your spiritual life or development will probably determine whether you hear me more as firm and clear yep. or kind and gentle. <laughs> you can let that soak in. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> let me ask you this. Do you sometimes find yourself just wanting to fit in? We heard a little bit of that, of the acceptance thing, wanting to fit in. Uh, wanting to fit in at work not stand out, or maybe at school to not be the, the odd one who doesn't do all the sinful stuff. If you want to just fit into your neighborhood, when we moved back to Lawrence, uh, my uh, next door neighbor behind me, super friendly guy, about every time I'm out in the yard, uh, he comes out and talks to me. And you know, I wanted to just fit in rather than stand out. Uh, my neighbors uh, to the side of us, same thing. They, they seem to be very well-educated people, and I kind of gave up on that one. But I wanted to fit in. You know, there's something about that that provides us a, a sense of security. Yeah. Have you ever found yourself wanting to just settle in? Yeah. We see this in marriage. You know, not a whole lot new under the sun after a certain point in, in a marriage. Uh, have you ever wanted to just settle in in your parenting? I did my best. The rest is up to them and God. I, I've had both of these things. Uh, have you ever wanted to just settle in in your relationships with other Christians? How about in your relationship with God? I mean, probably most of us that have been around very long have read through the Bible at least once. Old Testament is kind of tough at times. But I bet we've read through the New Testament dozens of times. And once again, nothing new under the sun. But the Word of God is living and active. 
And when we open our hearts to it, it is something new under the sun. There are insights that I have now that I didn't have way back then. And God has called us to not just settle in or fit in, but to be something completely different. God had in mind something much greater. He had in mind, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll see what he had. I guess most of you use your phones now because I don't hear a <coughs> single page turning. Here we go. <coughs> chapter 10 is the author is nearing the end of his, his exhortations for the Christians to remain faithful and not go back to their old ways. He says in verse 14 of chapter 12, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There's two sermons in this. I'm going to say one sentence about the first one, and then I'll go into the second one. He says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Now, who does that leave out? When we encounter people, there should be peace, because we're to make every effort to live at peace. And that obviously, I believe, ought to start in the church. So this ought to be the safest place to learn how to do that. Because we're going to blow it, we're going to make mistakes, but like I talked about in that last message, and I had several people, it was the one thing that I heard a response to was forgiveness. We're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to make big mistakes. Sometimes we're going to make minuscule mistakes. But that attitude of make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Right. What's it mean to make every effort? We'll get to that in a minute. What he says in the second part of this, uh, when I read it, the first time, and even as I begin to study it uh, this last time around, it's a little shocking because he says, make every effort to be holy. And then he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let that soak in. Without holiness, I won't see the Lord. Without holiness, you won't see the Lord. Now, rhetorically, how important is holiness? It's not just a good idea. And it's not just a religious word, and it's not just an aspiration, it's God's expectation. And he says within this, if we don't have that holiness, we won't see God. And I'll touch it now and hit it later, but that word for see means to acknowledge, and more than that, but to understand or literally to comprehend God. In other words, if we live a worldly life or an unholy life or one that is not sanctified and set apart and different and we just settle in or strive to fit in, we're not really going to comprehend God. Isn't it true when you put the word of God into practice, it just makes more sense? And it's like, oh, now I got it. And that's the intro into John 8 where it says, well, no, later in the chapter, if you hold to my teachings, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So how important is obedience? Man, when we understand, when we obey, the understanding begins to roll over us. And the stuff like anyone who lusts after a woman commits adultery, the truth, the reality, the insight begins to roll over us as we begin, as we are obeying. So in this passage, he says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. This begs the question, first of all, what is holiness? I'm glad you asked. Number two, uh, does God really expect something as extreme as holiness? And why in the world would he expect that, of un that out of unholy people? Number three, what are the benefits 
You know, as a counselor, I realize behavior does not take place typically unless it's by random chance or by reinforcement. When it gets reinforced, we are more likely to repeat it. The more reinforcement, the more repetition. There's a place where that stops, but I'll leave that alone. And then the last question is, how do we actually strive to be holy, to make every effort? The title of my message today is Intentionally Different. And you could, it's misspelled up there with the S, I believe. And that's on purpose. Do you feel the tension in striving to live a holy life? It's just, there's a tension, the pull of the world. And as you begin looking into the scriptures, you hear all this stuff about how our sinful nature pulls at us. It doesn't say because you got it, you give into it. He says we need to pull back. There's a tension when we strive to live a holy life. And I'm going to be so bold as to say, if you don't feel that tension, then you've either come a long way or you're not going along the right way. Because it goes against who we are in our nature. When we gave ourselves over to sin, the habit began, and God's trying to undo that and do something better. Are you with me so far? Intentionally different. Not accidentally different. Not intentionally the same. God has called us to stand out, to be noticeable. Now, he doesn't call us to be weird. He calls us to be holy, to be different in a way that makes a positive difference. And that happens in our home when we're holy. That happens at school, at work when we're holy. That happens in the church when we're holy. You know, it's been talked about of unity in the church. How do you build unity? You shoot at the, same ta- at the same target. Okay, what's the same target? To be like Jesus. What's the same target today? To be holy. What happens when you're, like, when you're holy? You're like Jesus. It all sort of fits together. But when we're shooting at the same target, when we're moving toward the same target, we will become more unified. Now, besides being holy, being a religious word, The question is, what is it? Definitions from the Greek word are things like set apartness, to be different. That's what the church is described as, the ecclesiastia, those those who are called out of the world and called together. Uh, Another definition of it is separateness, specifically from sin. A practical definition is given over to the purposes of God. My uh, interpretation of that definition is given over to the purposes of God is being willing and available to do what he wants. That sounds sort of like being a disciple, one who follows after the master. But it's to be intentionally different. It points to, it points at letting go of our personal intentions. I got a yes on that, so I'll move on. Intentionally different, as I said, but not weird. The opposite of intentionally different is unchanged, not making an effort, effort, uh, unchanging or unresponsive. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you something. Normally, when I do a message, I may have even said this last time, I can't remember, but I like to do uh, text studies because, at least in theory, they're easier to remember. When you go to read the text, ideally, you remember the sermon. Uh, but today, this topic is literally all over the pages of the Bible. So what we're going to do, instead of a text, is a topical sermon on holiness. 
So we're going to do uh, several page turnings, so bear with me. In chapter 4, in verse 5, it says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this, listen to this, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to all the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other, and, and what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today. What you see is this theme in the Old Testament that God didn't just choose some people and say, I'm going to give them a promised land. I'm going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. What he does is he says, there's a motivation for you. It's going to be awesome. But the plan behind it is you go in and you show who I am, meaning God, of course. When you go in, you do what I say, and the people are going to stand in amazement. And they're going to say, we've never seen anybody like these people. Look at how wise and understanding they are. Look at the laws and decrees that their gods, plural, because they had, had a, what's it called, pluralistic, I can't think of it, multi-gods that people worshipped. But the, the idea was go in and be different. Be noticeably different. Be intentionally different. Don't just go in and hope it works. Don't just go in and say Yahweh is our God, but go in and show God to the people. Well, that principle was put way back in the Old Testament as a principle that runs from that day forward, that God wanted to have a holy nation that would show the nations who God is. That sounds like a Christian, like Christ. And the idea was that people would stand in awe and go, I've never seen anything like this. That needs to describe our life when people look at us. Now, I may butcher this story because I didn't write it all down, but I heard a story recently of a Christian who was in a crisis situation where uh, that person was sent in to deal with employees at a location where someone had been run over by a forklift. And when I started hearing, when the details started coming out, it was pretty, pretty awful. Well, uh, the, the counselor was nearly traumatized just with some of the things that were heard. And uh, the person who had been driving the forklift, you can only imagine, he was afraid of what are people saying. He was concerned for the family. He lived in a small town, and the second day he was already hearing rumors that he had done it intentionally, and he feared threats to his life and his family's life. And he was just distraught. He was stirred up. And when he came in, he talked to the counselor. There were, much, there were many, many people that came in and talked individually or in groups. Of course, he came by himself. And he, he started unloading the different things going on. The counselor responded eventually with, well, do you have a support group? And describe it for me. He says, well, I got my wife, and that was about it. And then it became a question of, well, do you belong to a faith? Do you have a church? Do you have a family that's supportive of you? And the counselor said, I can't push that. That's outside the protocol. But it's something to consider. And you guys, well, I don't know. I'm kind of undecided about God. I don't know what to think. I'm not sure that I believe. 
And the counselor said, why don't you just check it out? And uh, to make a long story short, the person came back a second time because there was something different about that counselor. And he just wanted to hear more. And then the next day, when he had heard the threats and things that were, that were beginning to, to run around, he came back twice. So it was three or four visits. And somewhere within it, he sat back in his chair. He came in like this. And after he'd heard some things, he sat back in his chair. And he goes, I have never met anyone like you. The Christian was living like a Christian. <laughs> Tough situation. But he was showing the wisdom and the understanding and the high statutes of God as he simply lived it out. What's that old saying? I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. Yeah, we're, we're to be a living sermon, to be a holy nation. God has something in mind much bigger than just being good people. Good people is awesome, but people that show God to each other and to a lost world outside of us. First Peter chapter 2. We've seen what holy is and God's intention behind it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the question is, does he really expect it? Chapter 1, verse, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he goes on. Now, I guess when you read this scripture, you can either feel like I'm condemning you or I'm exhorting you. And what he was talking about here was th the Christians that Peter was writing to was saying, you're already a holy nation. Because there's two things that take place as you read. God has made the Christian holy, set apart, sanctified, different, saved. But at that point, it's a process or a, a uh, travel of becoming more and more like him or holy. Have any of us arrived? No. Now, if you're thinking about all the people that haven't arrived in the room, then you're missing the point. The point is it's for each of us that we live up to that condition that he has made us. He, and he says, just let it flow over you. You're chosen. You're a holy nation, a group of people that are considerably, noticeably different without being weird, a collection. You're God's special possession. You're called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now you're the people of God. Now you have received mercy. And in the middle of this, we see at least a proof 
that God expects us to be holy. If you read on in verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Doesn't that have a little bit of a ring to Deuteronomy chapter 4? They'll see a different difference. You're going to stand out. People may accuse you of stuff because they don't understand. But in the end, they're going to say, look at those good deeds. I've never seen anything like that. It's not just a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's God's expectation for us to be holy. Look at, let's see, 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Is it expected or just a good idea? It is required. Uh, references that I won't go through, but uh, you might write them down in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 through 8, and 2 Peter 3, 11. If you didn't get them, come up to me afterwards. You know, we're called to stand out, not to fit in. We're called to make a difference. We're called to show a difference. I want you to think about how you live your life. Does your purity make you different? If you're not married and you're dating, is your purity something that is holy? Or do you just fit in? Facebook posts. You know, the thing that's so interesting about Facebook is you can say anything you want to. You can air your opinions. You can air your attitudes. You can feel righteous that, that you're changing the world through your opinions. But there's some really ugly stuff that comes out on there. And what's crazy to me is there are Christians who write controversial, in-your-face, not peacemaking stuff. There's a brother in Lawrence that... I guess he just feels the freedom to say anything he wants to. And if he has a strong feeling and follows politics enough, he has something to say. But he does not stand out as holy and different. I think we have to think in terms of not what are my rights, but what are my responsibilities. Holiness is a one-time decision when we make Jesus Lord, but it's a one-time decision that is lived out daily. 
Okay, we've talked about the necessity. Let's talk about just the personal benefits to holiness. Now, when most of us consider taking a job, what do we do? We want to know how much we're going to get paid. We want to know what's expected of us. But we also want to know what the benefit package is. <laughs> Besides I get paid, what's all the other stuff that I don't have to pay for? Benefit package might be things like uh, health insurance, chance for advancement, personal time off. My daughter just changed jobs, and I was shocked by it. I guess I'm just old, but she goes, I get unlimited personal time off. And I'm thinking, so you don't have to go to work? Well, of course, the, the point of it is, is you just do the work, and if the work's done, you can have time off. You don't have to go in and make widgets. But, wow, what a benefit. You know, we want to know. I, I didn't hear what she said, but okay. Um, besides those, we want to know, is the employer going to um, match our retirement savings? We want to know how much vacation, and will it increase each year? You know, we want to know what the benefit package is. Here's my point. What is the benefit package of being a Christian? Well, number one, we get to see God. And like I said, that literally means to understand him better and better. When we understand him better, we're going to obey better. When we understand him better, we're going to be at peace with him. When we understand him better, we can feel like we can come before the throne of grace and really feel like it's grace, as it talks about, I think, Hebrews 4, chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be able to have a relationship with God instead of just a knowledge of God. Another benefit. Others can see God. When people see us, now don't write me off here, when people see us, to some level, they should see God. And what's so cool about it is, as life goes on, especially like relatives, when they see the glimpse of God, years later they see a bigger glimpse of God because we're in the process of being made holy. Not only will we see God, others will see God, souls will be saved as a result. Another one is, is that when we live a holy life, we can sleep better at night. Okay, I don't need to explain it. Clear conscience. When we live a holy life, what will it do in our churches? As we live a holy life, what will happen is it will create a transforming culture. A culture of we're in this together to become more like him. Unity comes from that. It's a transforming culture that creates a supportive atmosphere an evangelistic atmosphere, and listen to this one, an altruistic atmosphere. Now, if you don't know what that word means, it's the opposite of selfish. It has genuine interest and engagement in the good of the lives of other people. That's what God had in mind for his church, to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that we're his special possession, that we might declare the praises of him. He gives us this idea of as we follow Christ, we help other people follow Christ. Not just evangelism, but those who have already decided to follow Christ. Don't you need people to speak into your life? I have three guys. One of them is my son's age, who leads the church. And then his dad, who's a couple years younger than me. And then uh, another man that's, uh, I think, 60 years old. The guy who had the heart attack, the stroke, excuse me, the day that you guys had your announcement done here on a Sunday night. I'd intended to be here. Couldn't be. I needed to be with them. But those are guys who will speak into my life. 
I, I may have shared the story about being told I wasn't a very good listener. That was Steve speaking into my life. And the point was, I just don't believe things people tell me that are good about me. Uh, but I have people speaking into my life. One of them said, yeah, I don't think you ought to do that. I think going to Wichita is a bad idea. We had a good discussion about that. I'm here. You know, I, I didn't just say, okay, yes, sir. But I have people speaking into my life to help me become the person that God has called me to be. Do you? If you do, pass it on to others. If everybody's doing it, think about the buzz. Think about the transformation. Think about, think about the culture. Now, if you're saying, well, we already have that, who in the world do you think you are to come in here and tell us that, then just forgive me. I don't know everything. I don't know everybody in the group. But I do know what the Bible says, and this is what he's calling the Lawrence Church to, and I believe it's what he's calling the Wichita Church to, and the Chicago Church to, and the Kansas City Church to, and the Springfield Church to. And when we let go of that, things just, I'm not going to say they get weird, but they get soft. Okay, we've looked at the benefits. How in the world do we attain holiness? Well, number one, just practically speaking, is get into the Bible. Don't do casual reading. And don't read all the stuff on the Internet and all the podcasts. Some of those are great. I'm not going to discount them all. But just get into the Bible. That way you can discern what you're hearing. Is it true and sound with what the Scriptures teach? That we've got a filter by which to filter out the stuff that really isn't of God. Get into the Bible. Don't just sit down, look at your watch or your phone and say, I spent my 15 minutes, I'm on my way. Get into the Bible. If you don't work on Saturday morning, get into the Bible a little bit more. Take time to study something out. Take time to be the church expert on something. You know, I'm, I'm the church expert on hardship, suffering, and trials. No, seriously, you come up to me, I can give you all the scriptures and the personal applications on that. People know that. About every fifth sermon, I do it on something like that. But be the church expert on something. And if we had each person choose something that's on their heart, and they became the church expert on it, we would have this amazing library of, of resources by which to build up the holy nation to become more and more holy. Every part is important. You guys know those scriptures. You're not just an attendee. You've been called to be holy. Get into the holy word of God. And don't just read it. Don't just be reminded of it. Dig it. Dig it out and become what you read. Pass it on to other people. In this, get to know God, not just God's will. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, what you see is over and over again, uh, the writer says, if you do these things, it will go well with you. Now, at the end, he talks about blessings and curses, and there is a threat there. But the theme of the book is God loves us so much, he's going to give us guidance for how to have our lives, how to live our lives, and have it be okay. Not everything works out, but we can be at peace because we're walking with God. Get to know God better when you get into the Bible. If you're casual, stop it. You with me? Yes. Look for personal applications. James says, do not merely look, listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I wonder what that means. It means do what it says. Number two, spend more of your time, so it's going to cost time, with holy people and imitate them. No one in the room is perfect, but all of us have something. 
If we imitated each of the strengths and the holy features in other people, think about how holy we would be. Think about how unified we'd be. It's honoring one another. They say that, what is it saying? The greatest compliment you can give a person is to imitate them. Well, the goal is not to you know, compliment each other. The concept there is that that's something very powerful. Okay, Galatians 5, verse 19, and we'll bring it in for landing. The title of the NIV gives this section is Life by the Spirit. And he goes through several things, talks about the transformation. And when you get down to verse 19, he has talked about the sinful nature and what sin is. And a lot of us probably, when we went through the conversion studies, uh, we went at some point to Galatians 5, and we went through those things, and someone said to you, do you have this in your life? Do you have this in your life? And we went through the, the list to be able to help a person see that they needed to be forgiven. Now, when I went through the studies, the first verse that was shared with me was Galatians 5.19. There was no background set up. It was, you're a sinner. <laughs> you, can, you can talk to my wife about that, but it worked. <clears throat> and then he says, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Simply put, there's no guessing. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, really what I want to focus on is verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. How do we do it? How do we live a holy life? Besides getting into God's word, looking for application. Besides being around holy people and imitating the holiness, we just need to connect ourselves with the Holy Spirit because it says, now every Christian has been given promise of the Holy Spirit, but it says that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Have you noticed the Spirit does not force you <laughs> to do anything right or wrong? But it's our responsibility to keep in step with the, what the Spirit has to guide us in. To receive that, we have to receive a conversion. If you have not been converted to Christ, then find somebody to help you. But he says that the benefit package is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do we do this? We keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I would call that a great benefit package. How about you? You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. You're God's special possession. Be holy as he is holy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you give us your word as guidance for our lives, that you give us your Holy Spirit to dwell in us, that he can also guide us and that he can provide us with his fruits. 
Uh, God, just help us to know you better so that we can be more like you. Uh, make us more and more into that, that, that nation that stands out, that is different intentionally. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.